This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to this week's episode of Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival, via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. This program is also available as a podcast from late Wednesday evenings via rsn.net.au. Also SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Just search for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. We have a completely stacked show for you this week. Our featured guest is Walk award-winning journalist Caroline Wilson. He'll be talking about the current frustrations experienced by the AFLW footballers. We'll be previewing the Victorian Football League Women's Grand Final, the Tasmanian State League Women's Grand Final, and in Canada, the AFL Ontario Women's Grand Final. Also, we'll be taking a look back at the West Australian Football League Women's Grand Final with Premiership coach from East Fremantle, Nikki Harwood, and reviewing the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division Grand Final with Lauren Hodgson. Also on the way, we've got Michael Curran from the AFL Island Women's Competition looking back at round two of the Premiership and focusing on some of the AFLW contracted players that took part in the Ladies Gaelic Football Association Grand Finals over the weekend. All that and more on this week's show. You may have seen last Friday an article published on the Age website highlighting the current frustrations felt by the AFL women's footballers with not only league headquarters, but their own union, the Australian Football League Players Association. In fact, the frustrations run so deep that the idea of forming their own Women's Australian Footballers Union has been floated. Joining us on the line to discuss that is Walkley award-winning journalist, the Age columnist and panel member of Nine Networks footy classified ABC TV's Offsiders and three. AW's pre-game show, Caroline Wilson. Caroline, thanks for joining us to discuss this important issue. Pleasure to be here, Peter. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the line. Um, I want to talk about a piece that you published on the Age website on Friday, a split within the AFLW's players' ranks, not only with league headquarters, but I believe also as well with their union. Well, I think that was the point of the story, Peter, that the players were so disappointed with the pressure they were being put under by the AFL Players Association to sign this new three-year agreement. Um, uh, There was um, division in their own ranks. I mean, some of the non-Victorian clubs are just so keen to know when their start date is going to be because, you know, they have to move states, they have to plan jobs, study changes, etc. But I think they're they're more organised now and they're more united and they're just so disappointed at what they see as being threatened, really, as, a, as another exhibition year. They just don't see the Premiership Cup as having the value that it should have because they don't play each other once. Absolutely. They don't play every team once, I should say. Absolutely. And as we heard the comments last year from Daisy Pierce, the worry about the Mickey Mouse competition, is there a fear that there just seems to be no vision ahead for either A, when they'll play each other once, or B, when they'll actually get to being full-timers? Well, that, that's that's what they want, Peter. They want a vision, and the vision statement they've seen, um, that, that the sort of interim vision statement, I suppose, they feel is woefully inadequate. They think being asked to sign a three-year deal when they've only been playing for three seasons is far too long and doesn't promise nearly enough. The current agreement at the moment is eight home-and-away games for the forthcoming season, and then I think it's nine and nine. Well... That's just not good enough. And, and I think the, the biggest promise they're getting at the moment from the union is they're trying to get to 10 in the third year. Again, they're not playing each other once. 
They loathe the conference system. They just don't like it at all, and particularly the way it was handled last year. Um, it, it's just an interesting dispute, Peter, because it's not really about money. I think the money is not really the issue here. It is the legitimacy of their competition and the fact they believe they're being denied by the Players Association, who they don't think is really representing them to the degree they need representation. Um, they're being denied a level playing field. So um, there, there is it's quite real, this threat looking elsewhere to have a have an independent union represent them. They don't think the Players Association is well-resourced enough in terms of the women's needs to look after them. They want, they don't believe one seat on the board, which is what they've got at the moment, is in any way representative of their needs. And look, I can understand the numbers, the sizes of the competition, why the Players Association is telling them to be patient. But I think in the end, maybe they do need certainly a separate arm looking after all of their problems because I'm not sure they do have enough people and enough expertise in the AFL Players Association to represent these women. I have to say that I don't think that Paul Marsh thinks it's a good idea. He fears for the AFLW players if they go down this path, but they're impatient and they're, they're, they're pretty angry, I think, that this has taken so long and two months out from pre-season, they still don't have a fixture. You talk about their representation, that board member being former St Kilda Sharks footballer, now current Melbourne AFLW footballer in Meg Downey. Are you surprised to only have one position on the board when you look at the raw numbers, when 14 teams come in, they'll be roughly making up a third of the AFLPA membership? Well, um, there are people, dissenters, who would say that obviously there are much smaller competition which with really no broadcast money and a much shorter season. But I it, I just wonder whether it needs to be separate. It just, I just wonder whether that is the way to go. Um, I certainly don't like the excuse they've been given, Peter, which is that um, they had to change the constitution to get that one spot on the board, which was originally uh, filled by Days and Pierce. Now they're being told to change the constitution again would be too difficult. Well, the players don't buy that, and I don't blame them. My understanding is a representative from every one of the 14 clubs met on Sunday night. They're self-organising now, which I think is really interesting. Um, The the AFLPA are going to come back to them next week with a revised offer. But I, I think it was a poor move, probably, by the Players Association to try and push this deal upon them so quickly. And I certainly don't think they enjoyed being told to stay silent about it either, which happily for me, they didn't. Are the AFLPA underestimating the women's footballers and their ability to organise, considering that they're part-timers and for most of the work that these women are working in, it's education or health sectors, which are heavily unionised, so they're used to organising? Yeah, I think they are. Um, And I'm not saying... I have enormous respect for Paul Marsh and what he's achieved since he's taken over the PA. So this is not a criticism of him. I just think it's too much in the scheme of everything else they have to do. And and the, you know, the mental health path they're going down, the joint um, sort of situation they've got now with the AFL and the mental health team. I, I think they have, I'm not saying it's all being done by him, but I think they have an enormous amount on their plate. I also think the women are being advised by some very senior human rights figures and gender workplace figures in this country and it's interesting that you know one of the key advocates who was on the advisory board of the women's um, side of things in the AFLPA has quit because she's so disenchanted with what's going on and I think others even more senior figures 
are helping the women with what they should be doing. So for all these reasons, I feel as though the self-organisation is seeing them being supported by some very influential women behind the scenes and males, and they've got legal advice themselves, which I think is going to be a real worry for the AFLPA and the AFL if they continue to go down this path of what the women see as an exhibition tournament. Is there a possibility that the AFLPA are almost negotiating with one hand behind their back? Because at the moment, their masters are the men's side of the game because they make up the bulk of the membership and the bulk of the revenue that comes into the AFLPA. And I fear that if they go to the AFL and push too much for the women's side of the game, the AFL could come back and say, well, yes, we can grant you these things for the women, but we want you to subsidise it partly out of the men's and then a worry about if it will pass the men's vote when it comes back to the AFLPA. Well, well that's obviously one of the concerns. I mean, the bottom line in all, in all of these things is money and it's not paying for itself. It's costing the AFL perhaps more money than they thought it was going to cost at this point of the competition. They're worried that if they do go to 13 games or even 10 games, and if they do run the season further into the AFL men's season, that it's going to get lost. I think what I'm hearing from the women, and look, they don't run the competition. The AFL do, and they do it very well. But they don't mind if they don't have the traction that the AFL is pushing for with every game televised. What they're asking for, and I think this is where separate representation might be good, is a fresh voice here and a fresh set of ideas as to how these games can be maybe streamed, different media sources, different ways of making all the games relevant without necessarily being shown on Fox Footy or Channel 7. Now, AFL CEO Gillian McLaughlin appeared on ABC Melbourne on Tuesday morning to talk about the concerns about the competition, the length of the competition, and also the amount of timing that this deal has been done in so close to the start of the preseason. And these were his comments. There's lots of moving pieces in all this about how quickly we expand the amount of clubs, how quickly we extend the season length. Uh, we're trying to have a pathway of players coming through. And so so you, you, you're consulting as widely as you can and then making the best decisions you can. And we think we've gone okay for the first three years. There's no right or wrong. There's just lots of different opinions and we're doing it with the interests of, of women's football at heart and, and there's lots of different views in that. So we're, so so where we are at the moment is, is three, as I said, three or four months of work with the Players Association and they're now talking, you know, they're continuing to talk with their players, but I feel, I feel that, and I think the industry feels that going expanding next year to 14 clubs is the right thing. A lot, I know our clubs uh, who haven't had licences feel don't feel whole, and they and so we, we're trying to you know, expand at the right speed. And I feel okay about going from 10 to 14 next mm-hmm. year. It's interesting he uses the comments there when he talks about the industry feels it's right to expand to 14 teams. Um, I believe uh, prior to the first season, uh, most of the women's footballers were actually arguing for six instead of eight. And chatting with Michelle Cowan back in 2015 during the exhibition match draft, she commented for the 2016 uh, exhibition series, she thought there was really only enough talent for three teams. Yeah, and um, and I think that another issue there is that the players themselves now feel really put upon, Peter, that they they didn't certainly didn't think fourteen teams was a great idea now. They're alarmed at the prospect of eighteen teams by the mid twenty twenties, which I think is what Gillen has spoken about. And there is a view, even from within the AFL, that these clubs had no interest at the time in getting a women's team. Now they're all trying to jump on board because as Gillen says, they don't feel whole without one. And they can see 
the deficiencies they have without this wonderful cultural fillet that you know bringing a women's team and a national women's team into their comp- into their club does. But um, I think this is one of the problems. The AFL is trying to please everybody. Dylan's trying to please all the clubs who now say they do want a team. The women, were, the women who were the ones who would have known, I mean, they were the ones who knew where the talent pathway lay, and that's why they were a bit annoyed that they've been told their product isn't good enough, and yet they warned the AFL that this might be the problem if they were told to expand too early. If we have a look back at the formation of the AFLW because it was tied to the AFL men's clubs, is this kind of an, an anchor at its feet? When we compare it, for example, to over in America, the WNBA and NBA, the NBA actually subsidises the WNBA, but it's completely separate teams. Here, do the AFL feel anchored that because they've tied themselves immediately to the men's clubs, that means by theory at some stage they have to get to 18? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, I don't mind the idea of being anchored to the men's clubs because obviously that is going to be a financial health for them if they're being funded by, in part by some of the wealthier clubs. But my problem is that they said it was going to be a blank piece of paper. They would come in with different marketing strategies, game strategies. We know they want to have a different charter. There are so many reasons why this competition could have righted the, some of the wrongs of the men's competition. Now, one of them would have been to everyone play each other once. One of them would have been to establish a Tasmanian team from the outset, which the AFL didn't do and is continuing to prove problematic for them at the moment. There are so many ways they could have been that blank piece of paper while still anchoring themselves to some of the bigger clubs and clubs who wanted a women's team. I mean, I I think culturally, Greater Western Sydney has thrived by having a women's team. I think it's been fantastic for the Brisbane Lions in their resurgence, having a women's team. There is so many, you know, Richmond felt really left out when they didn't have one and felt they could have offered so much. And Hawthorne, the opposite, you know, they, they sort of regret that. I don't mind the anchoring themselves to AFL teams, but I think there could have been a point of difference, Tasmania being one, and certainly an equal competition being another one. Exactly. When you do mean point of uh, difference, obviously early in the year we spoke with AFL New Zealand uh, CEO and uh, he mentioned that uh, New Zealand would be keen to have a women's footy franchise at some stage down the road. Um, Again, we asked about the question of Nicole Livingston. It seemed that a year ago when the original Mickey Mouse comments were made by Daisy Pearce, it was Gillan McLaughlin that responded. Again, when there's criticism of the competition and uh, and where it's at, Gillan McLaughlin responds. The question is, Nicole Livingston is the head of women's football. Where does she sit in all this? Well, I guess we're still we're waiting to hear. I think she is broadly supportive of what the women are asking and broadly supportive of their issues with their union. But um, look, I think I thought it was noticeable that when the AFL CEOs met in Gamby recently for the last sort of meeting of the 18 clubs, and there was some time spent on the AFLW fixture for next year and where all of that was going. I don't, and I know a few of the CEOs thought it was strange that Nicole Livingston wasn't there. Why wasn't she the one, the whole point of people like me pushing for the AFLW to have its own boss? Because it would make such a big statement, quite apart from anything else, in saying, you know, we are a competition run by women for women, obviously with the AFL over it. So I think that's an interesting point. I'm not quite sure where that sits. I'm not sure whether um, all of the players have been able to 
I, I know that they're getting in contact with Nicole and what she's advising them, I couldn't tell you at the moment. Leaving aside Nicole Livingston for a moment, just the sole role itself of AFL women's head of football, does it make a mockery of the position that when there's strife, go to Gill? Um, oh, look, I, I think um, Gillan McLaughlin in fairness is talking today because he's talking about grassroots football and mm. he's got a few other, in terms of the Tuesday interview, I should say, he's got other messages to sell. Um, but yeah, I would like to see Nicole speak more. Yes, I would. And finally, before we let you go on a more positive note, uh, Caroline, of course, we know you're a keen Tigers supporter and daughter of a former Richmond Football Club president. Um, Should the season kick off as expected at some stage January or February and everything gets underway, how does it feel to you to finally have a a Richmond women's football side running out there in the national competition? I think it's it's fantastic. I mean, this is not... Um, wearing black and yellow colours in saying this. I thought it was a mistake of the AFL not to capitalise on the growing sort of challenge to the entire AFL system that Richmond was showing at the time this competition was born. Women had a Richmond, Richmond had a woman president. Uh, Richmond was doing a lot of work, it felt, in the gender space. Um, obviously, with their Indigenous programs, that was another area where Richmond would have been fantastic for a launch club of the competition. I think it was a big mistake. I really do. I mean, I just think that it went for other bigger clubs who necessar- didn't necessarily, in my view, put in nearly as good bids. And um, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall in that bidding process because I don't think that some of the clubs they chose were the right clubs. And I think it did hold back a lot of uh, female football careers. Well, Caroline, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Uh, thanks again for the marvellous work that you've been doing on covering the AFL Women's Competition. Pleasure, Peter. Thank you. And again, we thank Caroline for being very generous with her time. Over the weekend, saw the inaugural West Australian Football League Women's Grand Final played at Mineral Resources Park between the East Fremantle Sharks and Swan Districts. In the end, it was East Frio taking out the Premiership, and that's why we've got on the line the Premiership-winning coach, Nikki Harwood. Webbo, how are you? Hi, <laughs> Pete. How are you going? Great to have you on the line. And let's ask you straight off the bat, how does it feel, you know, to win the first ever, since the rebrand, the first ever WAFLW Grand Final? Oh, it's pretty amazing, you know. Like, I think after this one, we had a pretty high sense of achievement. Like, with all the, um, you know how the AFL, uh, the WAWFL, has been rebranded now to Waffle Women's and there's only five teams involved. So with that, having only five teams to compete against, they're pretty strong. So, um, yeah, we thought that uh, if we could get over the line, it would be a massive sense of achievement, and it was. You actually came into the grand final having the week off. You won in the major semi-final and went straight through. And considering what you just said, playing against such tough competition, with it being a smaller competition of five teams, how important was it to have that week's break coming into this grand final? I'm not a fan of buys coming into finals. We had a we had a buy only about two weeks prior, so for us to have another buy, um, I, I didn't I didn't think it was that great for us. But what we tried to do was make it um, as game like as normal from week to week. So we would still train Wednesday, Friday, on the Saturday of the prelim game, prelim game. We still had a two hour hit out, like as if we were replicating a game. So um, we tried to do as best we could. Um, in the, in the situation. 
Uh, one of the factors that your side had to address to beat Swan Districts in the grand final, Swan Districts have been in many WAWFL grand finals, and they actually just hit a bit of purple patch of form coming into the grand final, uh, knocking off the more fancied Subiaco. Yeah, they had. They've just, they were on a five-game winning streak. Um, we knew that they've got speed. They've, they've got amazing speed on the outside. So when they can get the ball to their runners, we knew that we would be in trouble. Uh, we knew that we had to shut down players like Houghton, Antonio, uh, Imara Cameron, and we also had to um, cater for uh, Emily Maguire, who is in the back line very, very strong. So we had a, we had a pretty big focus on our team defence and, um, and knew that we, we had to try and shut down their main players, but we also had to get our players back to... To, to defend as well. Can you talk us through Gabby O'Sullivan's uh, best on ground performance? Yeah, she's amazing, isn't she? She probably had her best game uh, for the season in the semi final against Subiaco, and um, she just absolutely went to the next level when, when it came to grand final day. So she's just electric with her speed. Um, she just knows where the goals are, and and above all, her leadership is sensational out there. So no doubt that she would have been getting around the girls and and um, bringing a positive vibe as well. So she's great. Uh, you must have been thrilled with uh, the young Roxy Roo and her game. Uh, two goals and named amongst the best. Yeah, she's got that X factor, Roxy. She's um, I think she's seventeen. I'm not sure if she's hit eighteen yet, but um, but she is is just a, a great talent. She's such a good size for her age. And she can jump like nobody else that I've seen. So she um, she was amazing uh, throughout the season. I've put the reins on her a little bit for the second half of uh, our season because she tries to, to go up the ground a lot and, and try and do it all. And for us, she's more valuable in front of goals. So um, put the reins on her. And then when it came to semi-final and grand final, I just took the reins off and said, go for it. And she brought out her two best performances as well. Absolutely outstanding. And, of course, uh, possibly we'll see her in the AFLW next year. Definitely. I think so. Uh, what were some of the other players who stood out for you uh, on the weekend? Oh, we had 21 contributors on the day, I thought. So it's pretty hard. I'll say I thought Ash Atkins was, was unlucky not to get best on ground as well. I thought she played sensational um, through the midfield all day. Um, just her, her hits and uh, her, her ability to surge and... Um, just her strength over the ball was amazing. Evie Gooch, always great. Uh, another forward probably who was um, kicked two goals uh, was Stephanie Spark. She was kind of floating in and out of our league and league team this year from league to resis, but um, gave her a shot at the grand final and, uh, and she performed. But there's a couple of others. Probably Hayley O'Donnell I'd like to mention. She had a job on um, Gemma Houghton. Uh, she's a young 18-year-old that we put on her, and I uh, thought she did really well. Debbie uh, Norris had a job on Antonio, and uh, Samara Plusky had a job on Amara Cameron. So I thought that those three girls played their role, and the, the whole team just were able to build off that. I want to ask you about two more players, just without notice. Uh, Kimberly uh, Bowie, of course, uh, uh, polled high in the Darek medal. And also you've yeah. got a, a former Victorian in there in Carly Tapner, who we used to see run around a couple of years ago at Melbourne University. She kicked a goal in the grand final. Yeah, definitely. Kim Bowie, uh, look, I'd love to see her get drafted this year. She's probably a bit of a, an unknown and might be a bit of a, a dark horse to, to get drafted. I don't know if are looking for, for a ruck, so she's definitely a possibility there. But um, she's just had an outstanding season. She's just a good workhorse. She'll just get in, get the job done. She, she's nothing flashy, but she just does, plays her role and is actually very, very strong in the contest. So 
she she played really well. And um, Carly Tapner is a great she's a great character. So she's she's one of those girls who's just so passionate about footy. She's got a good size and she's got a brilliant kick on her. So uh, she did well in the grand final as well. And finally, Webbo, before we let you go, you've been involved in women's footy for years now, but what does it mean to you personally to have your state league triumph shown live on commercial TV in WA on Channel 7 for the first time as it was last weekend? Yeah, it was it was pretty fantastic. It's an amazing opportunity to just highlight, I think, especially for our club as well, just the females that are involved in footy and not just the players. Um, we've got... Um, at our club, you know, myself as head coach, but two out of our three assistants are females. We've got a female uh, football manager. Um, I could go on and on, but just to show that East Fremantle actually invests in in women in other roles, so in coaching and and um, you know management and uh, any support stuff off field as well. That's where we try and target as well. So for I guess the broader community to see that females can actually coach and they can do other roles it would just be I would love to see AFL clubs just take take more of an opportunity in investing in, in females well Webbo thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival congratulations on reaching again the highest pinnacle of WA women's football and best of luck when you try to defend cup next year <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show. Now, that wasn't the only big women's grand final played over the weekend over in New South Wales. It was the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division grand final between East Coast Eagles and Macquarie University. To talk all about it, we've got our regular reporter on the line from Sydney, Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, I'm well, thanks, Peter. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. After that crazy, crazy finish in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division Grand Final out there at Blacktown, when they say it's a game of inches, they're not kidding. No, certainly not. It, uh, look, it was about as close as you can get, Peter. Um, I mean, look, in the end, there was only a goal in it. And, um, you know, even at the end, it looked like there was a bit of confusion on the field and and people didn't know what was going on. But, uh, look, the final score sat at 5-5-35, Mac Uni Warriors to uh, the East Coast Eagles, 4-5-29. So um, it's what you want to see in grand finals, a close game. But, uh, yeah, look, East Coast Eagles got off to a flyer, Peter. They kicked uh, four goals straight to two behinds in the first quarter. Um, however, they didn't kick a goal after that. And uh, Mac Uni pegged back three of those goals in that uh second quarter. So by half time it was uh even Stevens. Uh there were seven points in it at three quarter time and uh but yeah look um MacUni uh kicked two two in the first uh, in that final quarter to uh to, to take the lead and, and they didn't look back. Um Laura Russell uh, finished off a, a fantastic year with three goals in the grand final. Um Amanda Ferugia was on the uh, goal scorers list for the Warriors as well. And uh, no surprises there that she was also amongst uh, the Warriors' best players. Um, Lisa Steen was probably the best uh, best of the Warriors. Um, and East Coast Eagles, some familiar names. Uh, Riley McGartland kicks two of their four goals. Um, and in amongst their best players was Tarrant, Tompkins and, and Goodsir, um, Ford and Zarika. So, uh, yeah, look, we expected to see a tight grand final and uh, it certainly lived up to the hype. It's it's amazing, isn't it? When you think that 
the minor premiers who've been dominant for most of the season lead four goals to two behinds at quarter time. And you think, that's it. They're, they're going to run away with this or it'll be very difficult for Macquarie University to get back. And if you told someone at that stage that the minor premiers would then only score five more points for the remaining three quarters of a grand final, no one would believe you. No, you're right there. You'd uh, you'd think the person had rocks in their head, but uh, that's exactly what ended up happening. And uh, look, it was a relatively low-scoring game when you're saying there's only uh, nine goals in a grand final. And and I think uh, their clashes throughout the year, there were definitely more goals than that. But look, finals footy is a different beast. Um, You know, defence normally steps up and... uh, it caps off a terrific few years for the Warriors, and it's their first um, premiership in the Premier Division. And uh, you know, I, I suspect that they'll be up the top for uh, and contending for premierships for quite some time. They've really been able to keep a core group um, together for quite, quite some time now, Peter. You think about this: twenty minutes, thirty seconds have gone in the final quarter of a grand final. Siren imminent. Amanda Ferrugia, GWS Giants captain, has the football and just recently named, obviously, as Moston medalist for the third time in her career. She's there on centre wing. She kicks the ball up the line. You're thinking, right, it'll be knocked away. The siren will go shortly. Someone like a Renee Tompkins gets on the end of it for the Eagles. She goes up the line. Anine Zarika then beats two, gets the ball over the top. The Eagles with one last kick. They have a mark. Inside 50 at 45 metres out from goal. They go back. The distance is not there, but it's online to the top of the square to McGartland. And just before it hits her hands, the siren goes. Yep. Heartbreak for the Eagles. And I must admit, uh, when I was watching it, um, I couldn't hear the siren. But when I, I had the replay going and... Uh, and put the ear a bit closer to the microphone, it was uh, obvious that uh, the siren had gone. As you said, only just before McGartland marked it. Um, but I think the the right call was made there by the uh, umpires, but definitely a heartbreaking one for the Eagles, Peter. You've got a feel for the Eagles. I think some players say that if, if they had the choice of losing by 100 points in a grand final or by less than a kick, many would say lose by 100 points because you can just put it down to we just had a dirty day, nothing went right, etc. Just put it out of your mind. I, th- I think the tough thing for the East Coast Eagles girls is when you lose by a goal and lose by essentially you're a, a split second away from the attempt to, to send it into overtime, that thing always will play through your mind of what was that little tiny thing that could have been done so much quicker that may have changed the result. Oh, absolutely. You know, it would have been going through their minds immediately afterwards. And uh, I'm, I'm sure there's still people thinking about it, uh, thinking about it now. But, um, I mean, look, yeah, it's, it's not that often that things get that close. And as you said, it literally was a split second. And um, given that the person that marked it was at the top of the square and was the competition's leading goal kicker, you'd have to say, had it been marked uh, before the sign that she would have kicked the goal and send them into overtime. But unfortunately, as, as footy is in any sport, uh, there's uh, there's always going to be a lot to think about when things are, are left that close. Talking about some of the players that uh, that went well in the grand final, we talk of uh, uh, Lisa Steen, of course, uh, uh, best for the Macquarie Warriors. We also talk about players such as uh, uh, Taron, Goodsir, Ford, Zarika. Uh, great to see them doing well in a grand final for their respective sides because a lot of them are trying to put their names up in lights to be recruited by the GWS Giants come this October. 
Yeah, they certainly are, and I think uh, Tarrant might even be invited to the uh, the AFLW draft camp. So um, being named in the best players for a grand final certainly going to do her chances uh, no harm there, and I'm sure uh, people from the Giants would have been um, watching uh, watching this game. Um, and obviously Zarika's already listed the Giants, and Tomkin has been on the Giants list uh, in each of their first three seasons. So... Um, I mean, look, it's, yeah, you couldn't have got, in terms of a contest, um, any better of a grand final in the top division of women's footy. Well, Lauren, thank you very much for your report on the grand final and thanks for your reporting from throughout the year, really. It's been a tremendous effort keeping everyone up to date with what's been happening in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. And hopefully we look forward to your company again next year as we look back at what's been happening in Sydney women's football. Yeah, look, thanks for the season, Peter. I'm always happy to talk women's uh, Aussie rules with anyone that's happy to uh, listen and uh, look forward to being uh, back on the program next season. Don't go anywhere. We've got more Women's Australian Rules football on RSN Carnival coming up in just a moment. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. You're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. We've still got on the way our looks at the VFLW Grand Final and Tasmanian State League Women's Grand Final to be played this weekend. But now it's time for our international wrap. On the way, we'll be taking a look back at another round of AFL Island Women's Premiership Football. But first, we head to Canada to preview the AFL Ontario Women's Grand Final. As we take a look to the AFL Ontario Women's Grand Final being held this Saturday at Humber College South, it's great to have on the line from the minor premiers being the Hamilton Wildcats in Lease Keeper. Lise, how are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm not too bad, but I'm thinking about your nerves. How is it as you count down the sleeps to the AFL Ontario Women's Grand Final? Uh, you know, as always, you kind of get a little nervous as you get closer to it. But, you know, you just trust that all the training you've done throughout the season is going to pay off in the end. Well, let's talk about the season to date so far for the Hamilton Wildcats. Through the regular season, eight games played, a great record to finish the top of the table, the 7-1. and one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, definitely a great season. Um, lots of improvements overall with all the girls on the team. Um, so we're definitely looking forward to this final. Um, bit of a surprise to play, be playing the Ruse, um, but I think we're ready for it. We're... As you said, like the, the season went quite well, so we're, I think we're ready for it. A dominant performance in that major semi-final, a 61-point victory over the Ottawa Swans, who finished second for the year. Um, what clicked on that day for such a clinical performance from the Wildcats? I think it was just um, the ball movement and understanding where we need to be and um, just clicking finally, I think, with the girls on the team. Um, just our forward line, understanding where they need to go and then getting our help from our midfielders as well. And that score, 10 8 to just the seven behind. You defeated Ottawa, which sent them to the preliminary final where they would face the Edipico Kangaroos. And the Roos end up causing an upset and going straight into the grand final. Uh, what does that do for the mindset during the week? I guess prior to the preliminary, you're preparing for a rematch with Ottawa that all of a sudden, no, you've got the Kangaroos. 
<laughs> yeah, that's that's true. I mean, um, we we're definitely, I think, more prepared to go against the Swans uh, this upcoming Saturday. Um, as regards to the Ruse, I it's been a while since we've played them throughout the season, but um, it should be an interesting matchup just because they have had a couple new players come in. But um, you know, I think as long as we stay and we stick to what we've been doing throughout the season, especially against Ottawa, because they came up higher on the rankings and in the season that we should be, we should be able to hold our own and come off with um, a good game at the end. Let's talk about some players that are hitting form for you as you come to the grand final. Uh, a couple of known names I see straight away, uh, simply because they played for the Eastern Devils back in Victoria, uh, being Leah Vansevenet. She kicked uh, three goals in that uh, game against Ottawa just a couple of weeks ago. And Jacqueline Halliday, who also got on the scoreboard with two goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they both um, were really connecting that game as well. Leah uh, did a great job just following through and kicking those goals. They were massive for us. And same with Jackie, just um, both of them being able to come through and help pull forward with the with the team and just show that leadership that you know they just gained, especially when playing with Eastern Devils in Australia. So they were great helps with that, and they're also great leadership as well. So they were hitting their stride, which is great to see. And in your mind, who are the players that have been hitting form at the right time as you hit this grand final? Um, I'd actually have to say it's a couple of people. One is Krista, uh, Krista Geloso. She's been a key defender this year because we've lost a couple people. So we've really seen her hit her stride this year. Uh, we've also had a couple of rookies come through, um, one of which is more um, Julia that we've seen and also Gabby, who's playing last year. They've kind of, well, not kind of, they have been showing that they can play really well in the midfield. And they also can have their other positions that they can play on the field as well. So it's great to see them come out and really start to see and hit their form too. And what do you see as your opposition's strength? What is the strength of the Kangaroos that you need to nullify to ensure that you win the Premiership this Saturday? They're really good at uh, keeping their space and keeping their structures going. So uh, the biggest thing for us is going to be making sure we just keep that pressure on them and making sure that they don't have the space to just run through with it. That would be probably the biggest thing to keep in mind when we play them. And what would it mean to you personally if at the end of the day you were to be holding up the Premiership Cup? Uh, it would mean a lot just because we've, um, we're have we a small league and we've made it to the finals a number of times, but we've never actually come with come away with the win so if we were to win it this year it would just be it would just be like the icing on the cake to a really great great season so it would be just a yeah just a great feeling overall knowing all that work has paid off well Lise, thanks very much for joining us here at women's australian rules football on rsn carnival and we wish you and the hamilton wildcats all the very best as you strive for the premiership cup this saturday 12 p.m at humber college south thank you peter and joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival as we continue our look at the AFL Ontario Women's Grand Final. It's great to have on the line from the Etobicoke Kangaroos, it is Amanda Irwin. Amanda, how are you? I'm excellent this morning. How are you? Not too bad at all. Um, how are the nerves filling in the stomach as you count down the sleeps to the Grand Final? Uh, well, this interview is... Uh you know, making those nerves a little bit higher, I would have to say, uh, and building up in the excitement, uh, but it's great. Um, yeah, we're preparing, and uh, we look forward to Saturday, that's for sure. 
where you're taking on the Hamilton Wildcats. Can you actually just talk us through uh, the Kangaroos finals campaign going all the way from third, you finished with a four and four record, to getting to the grand final? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, essentially this season was a rebuilding year for us. Um, having lost a few of our most talented and experienced players, we really had to work from the ground up. Uh, we actually opened the season with a few really tough matches uh, straight out of the gate, and that was versus the Hamilton Wildcats and the Ottawa Swans, um, who ended up being seeded number one and number two this season. Uh, those games, we had relatively low numbers and about 50% of rookies who had never played footy before. Um, so we knew we had a long road ahead of us. Uh, but we definitely saw the talent uh, in order to get us there. So after suffering a few of those tough losses, uh, we used each remaining match to practice, strategize, play around positions, and finding combinations that work. Um, and in doing so, our rookies were getting so much experience and getting their hands on the footy, and were, they were able to learn the game very quickly. We essentially wouldn't have had a team with this season without um, some of our new recruits, and I've been so proud of each and every one of them throughout this entire process. Uh, so once finals came, we had been flying under the radar. You know, you know, people thought maybe we were a bit of a walkover, um, and we were okay with that. So the girls came out hungry and eager and excited to show the other teams what we were made of, and ultimately we just continued to fight for that footy. Um, and taking up the Swans this past weekend by two points uh, was seen as a bit of an upset, and uh, we definitely look forward to battling it out for the premiership on Saturday. You talk about switching on at the right time. Who has been hitting form during the finals for the Ruse? Um, I definitely have to com- commend Grace Elias, who uh, she's a rookie this year, and she was actually named co- co-rookie of the year uh, within the league. Uh, she's super quick and stealthy. Uh, she's kicking off her left and her right foot boot already, and uh, she can get out of the most sticky situations. Uh, she's been a huge asset to this team this year, and I see great things for her uh, footy future. And then coming into finals, we've had two vets, making massive impacts on the field this year. Um, and that's Nicole La Liberté and Jeanette Loda. Uh, we can essentially shift them into any position, and it's guaranteed that they'll not only get the job done, but they'll exceed our expectations. Um, and then this past weekend, uh, returning from a brief pause uh, in playing footy was Lara Hilmi. Lara recently has given birth to a beautiful baby boy, and uh, she had her debut this past weekend versus the Swans. Um, she played fabulously, controlling her back line, and it was like she never skipped a beat. So uh, it's definitely been wonderful having her back out on the field with us. Uh, what do you see as your opponents, the Hamilton Wildcats' strength? They've obviously finished the season 7-1 and one in a strong position. What is the strength, and how do mm-hmm. you think you can nullify that? Uh, the Wildcats' strength is definitely their skill set. Uh, they're a very talented team, and I would say that they probably have the most depth and experience as well over any of the other teams this season. Um, the roster has three players who have already been named to the Northern Lights Team Canada, and uh, that's Jacqueline Halliday, Leah Vincevenon, and Lee Kiefer. Um, so with us being a very new team by comparison, uh, we just have to be really strong and winning the footy, supporting each other, communicating well, and hopefully taking some of those big names out of the game. <laughs> now, for yourself personally, what does it mean to be playing in this grand final to be maybe come Saturday night, holding up the AFL Ontario Women's Premiership Cup? Oh, gosh. Um, this season has been a tough one, and uh, I could probably go on for ages as to why this grand final means so much to me. Uh, this is the first year that I've captained this, this squad, and uh, it's the first year we've recruited so many new players in one season. Um, it was a very tall order to be successful, 
and having so many of our vets go either into retirement or taking some time off of playing footy this year. Um, but I have to say that I really lucked out. The girls have made it so easy for me. They're committed, they're hardworking, they're eager to learn, but most of all, they're all just amazing people and uh, we form some really close bonds. Um, this has really changed the dynamic of our team and the culture this season has been so positive and heartwarming and ultimately we're just having tons of fun. Um, you know, there was a point in the preseason where it felt like everything was essentially falling apart and uh, the thought crossed my mind um, and I wondered, okay, which club team do I have to play for this season? Do we need to fold uh, just for the 219 season? Uh, however, Kent Billing, who is our club treasurer, and he was the original first ever women's coach for the Roos back when the ladies started in 2011, um, stepped up to coach us this season. And uh, I'm so thankful to him and to some of the volunteers from the med squad who came out to train with us or coach us when Kent wasn't available. Uh, this season wouldn't have happened without our footy family. And uh, it was really a all-hands-on-deck type of season. So just getting to the grand final was a feat in itself, and I'm so proud of everybody involved. So to be able to bring it home this year, I'm not even sure I could find the words to describe it. Um, it's been a true support system and a bit of an underdog story. There's some personal honours for yourself as well. You took home the AFL Ontario Women's League Best and Fairest, and also you've been named in the Northern Lights squad to come to Australia for IC 2020. Uh, yeah. Um, so I have to say I wasn't expecting to have been named uh, in the league best and fairest. Um, there are some wonderfully talented women in the league here who bring it every single week. Um, it definitely took me by surprise, but I am extremely honoured and thankful that I was given the opportunity to shine this year. And I think having stepped into this leadership role and learning so much um, on the coaching side of things as well has really amped up my game knowledge and my confidence on the field. Um, so I think that carried through to selection camp for the Northern Lights. Uh, so being named in the first 15 players selected for IC20 um, is just a testament to hard work and uh, my love for footy, really. And uh, I look forward to representing Canada over the next year. Well, Amanda, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you and the Epicoke Kangaroos all the very best this Saturday as you take on the Hamilton Wildcats in the AFL Ontario Women's Grand Final, 12 p.m. at Humber College South. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is a wonderful experience, and uh, go Roos. Let's stay in North America for a moment and focus on the United States Australian Football League. One women's match played over the weekend where Sacramento 3-5-23 went down in a close one to the national champions, the San Francisco Iron Maidens 3-8-26. Chocolate block full of women's footy, though, this coming weekend on Saturday, the 21st of September. First of all, in Yonkers, New York, it's a three-way tournament between the New York Magpies, Montreal Angels and the Denver Bulldogs in Houston, Texas. It's Houston taking on the Dallas and Austin combination. Over in Washington, D.C., the D.C. Eagles will be taking on the Boston Demons-Columbus Cats combination. While over in Tigard, Oregon for stump down throwdown, a three-way tournament between the Portland Sockeyes, the Calgary Kangaroos and the Seattle Grizzlies. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, once again calling in all the way from Ireland, from the AFL Ireland Women's Competition, it's Mike Coran. Mike, how are you? Hi, Peter. How are you? All good here? Great to have you on the line. And yet another round has got underway of the AFL Ireland Women's Premiership. Round two, I've been told, Dockers for the day. Oh, yeah. We've had um, 
we had a big day on Saturday, obviously, uh, for round two, a bumper occasion with 10 games of football. We also had a, a new club making their first appearance, who were the Kildare Sharks. So we've been very fortunate to get a set of jerseys from uh, Fremantle Doctors there um, literally two weeks ago. Um, we're working closely with the team there in helping um, Anya Thai and Case Blood in their preparations before they head over. So we've got a beautiful set of jerseys and we've got all these teams wanting to wear them. So what we've done is we, we're doing Dockers for the day or Dockers for the round. And each club is, is going to get a run out in the Frio Docker jerseys across the Premiership. And the Kildara Sharks made an excellent debut with a victory over the Cork Vikings in Game 1. They sure did, Picha. They had a great day overall um, and they look to be a cracking team going forward. Uh, on Game uh, game 1 of Round 2, we had uh, Kildara Sharks two goals, one behind 13. The Cork Vikings one goal, two behind the eight. So victory in the very first game, which was a perfect start for the girls. And we had goals there from Louise Scully and Leah Hayes. And for the Vikings, a goal from Olivia Artez. So, yeah, a great start to the round uh, with the Sharks getting a win in their first ever game. The all-dominant West Clare Waves were big uh, six-goal winners over the West Dublin Garrisons. Uh, yes, Waves continued uh, their rich vein of form. They went through the day undefeated with four wins from four, starting off uh, against the West Dublin Garrisons. Uh, five goals, seven behinds, 37 uh, holding the Garrisons to just a single behind. We had uh, Anya Tai with two goals, uh, Sarah Bohannon with a goal, Olivia Barrett and Kira Sexton with goals as well. Yeah, so um, another strong start from the Waves and they kept that going throughout the day. Uh, in Game 3, we ended up having our first draw, which uh, was 1-3 night apiece between the Angels and the Sharks. Yeah, this was actually one of the best games of the round. Um, the Sharks have been formed by Irish Banshees captain Melamori, who... Uh, was staying for Dublin Angels up to this round. So um, there was a lot of interest in how this game was going to go. And it really was a tight affair from start to finish. And it, as it turned out, the game was drawn by a last-minute kick from Jessica Keane from Dublin Angels, uh, getting a, with pretty much the, the siren to follow. So, yeah, a great game and a fair result all around, I think, in that one. Uh, in Game 4, uh, the West Dublin Garrisons finally got on the board with a one-goal victory over the Cork Vikings. Yeah, again, Garrison's one goal, three behind nine points to Cork Vikings. No goals, three behind three three points. So a goal from Garrison's from um, their strong centre player, Sinead Comerford. And that was their uh, win for the day as well. So across the round, we'd see that every team ended up with a win, which was fantastic. 37-point win to the West Clear Waves over the Dublin Angels in Game 5, including some goals amongst the AFLW talent. Sure, Waves, eight goals, two behinds, 50. Very clinical in front of goals in, in this match um, and conceded their only goals of the round, actually, against Dublin Angels. So for Waves, we had three goals from Aileen Gilroy, who's on her way to North Melbourne Kangaroos. Two goals from Sarah Bohannon. Another goal from Anya Tai, uh, Kate Keeney and Kira Sexton again. And for Dublin Angels, we had goals uh, for um, from Fang and Siobhan, Doon, uh, Siobhan Noonan. So, yeah, a good game as well and a good performance by the Angels against the defending champions. The second win of the round for the uh, Kildara Sharks, uh, winning comfortably uh, 34 points over the West Dublin Garrisons. Yeah, they definitely were getting into it as the games went on. Obviously, they had eight girls at least playing their first game. So uh, with every game they played, they improved. Uh, they're a light and fast team, and they really came out of the blocks against the Garrisons, 7-5-47 to 2-1-13. So again, we had two goals for... Uh, Louise Scully, who was their best on ground for the day. Uh, two two goals for um, Clara Sexton. Uh, two goals for Russian Crow. Uh, a goal for Leah Hayes. 
And again, for Garrison's, we had the goals coming from Sinead Comerford. At a five-goal victory in Game 7 for the Waves over Cork. Yeah, continuing on uh, with another win, 5-5, 35 to 0, two, two, two points for Vikings. Again, Aileen Gilroy was brilliant in this game with uh, two goals, another one for Anya Tai, and goals again uh, for Kate Keeney and Olivia Barrish. So very strong again from the Waves. And um, as I say, went on to go through the round unbeaten for their, their final game against the Sharks, which we'll talk about in a second. Yeah, in game eight, a rather tight contest between the Dublin Angels and West Dublin Garrisons, a local derby. Yeah, local derby again. Um, these guys built up a bit of rivalry across the Super 7s early in the year, and it was great to see Dublin Angels get their uh, win for the day here. Two goals, two behinds, 14 to West Dublin Garrisons. No goals, three behind three. So uh, two goals for Megan Cregan and uh, fantastic for the Angels to get a well-deserved win. West Clare Waves defeated the Kildara Sharks by 20 points, the closest margin all day for the Waves. Yeah, this one uh, across the round, this one was setting up to be the game of the day and that's the way it turned out. Um, Both teams went into this game undefeated. Uh, Waves had their three wins and Sharks had two wins and a draw. So uh, we knew it was going to be a cracker and it certainly turned out to be the case so uh, the closest game for Waves of the day with three goals three behinds 21 to Sharks um, no goals one behind one point so just the 20 points in it and for Whistler Waves we had a new player Katie Power kicking two goals and a goal also for Sarah Bohannon and in the final game of uh, Premiership Round 2 uh, the Cork Vikings came away 21 point winners over the Dublin Angels yes again Vikings got their win for the day and they saved it till their last game so they're very happy with that um some valuable points on the table. Four goals, five behind, 29 to Angels, 1-2-8. So again, a reasonably well-contested game. Two goals for Cork for Maria Quirk. And we also had goals for Olivia Artes and one of their new players, Cathy. And for um, Dublin Angels, a goal for Sinead Killeen, who's actually just returned from AFL Netherlands after a year in college over there. So that was the final game of the day to cap the round and as I say delighted that all teams came away with at least a win for the day For the Golden Boot the uh, winner for round two was Aileen Gilroy of the West Clare Ways of five goals that must be a pleasing news for North Melbourne supporters Oh I'm sure it is Peter yeah it was Aileen's first games of Aussie Rules and uh, she was absolutely flying it uh, playing out of the middle really strong fast running player um, so generally those goals came from hard running straight through from, from centre bounces so Five goals for her on, on the day was fantastic. And overall, on our overall golden boot table now, after the two rounds, um, Aileen has jumped up to second place already with those five goals. And another AFLW-bound player, Anya Tai, now actually leads the, the golden boot table with eight goals overall, further to um, getting another four in this round as well. And who took home best on ground honours for each side throughout uh, round two? So for best on ground, we had, uh, for West Clare Waves, we had Anya Tai, who's been consistently brilliant across the last couple of months. Uh, for Dublin Angels, we had um, Irish Banshee veteran Ashley Gillespie. For West Dublin Garrisons, we had their um, their founder, Lisa Heavey, was brilliant and took out the best on ground. And for Park Vikings, Olivia Artes. And for the new team, Kildare Sharks, best on ground as they went to Louise Scully. So that concludes the round two of the Premiership. Uh, round three, I believe uh, you're heading off to Cork. Yeah, round three is two weeks' time, Sunday the 29th of September, and it is going to Cork. So we're very much looking forward to that. It'll be our first round outside of Dublin across our two Premierships so far. So I think everybody's excited to get on a, a road trip and 
the likes of Cork Vikings, West Air Waves are happy to be playing a bit closer to home than normal. So yeah, all roads each Cork for Sunday, September 29th. That's our third and final round. And after that, we will know um, our finalists with the top of the table going straight through to the grand final and positions two and three will play in the semi-final or the preliminary final. So yeah, all to play for um, at the moment. West Air Waves look almost guaranteed a spot in the grand final with their um, 32 points from um, from the two rounds. But it's going to be a real battle behind them. Currently, we will have Cork Vikings and Dublin Angels um, equal on 15 points each. And our new team, Hilara Sharks, are straight up to 11 points after round one. So uh, those three teams will probably look to have a real battle to see who finishes in that second and third spot and, and takes those final positions. Also, some exciting news for the AFLW players that were playing in the ladies' GAA finals uh, on the weekend, and a number of them starring. Absolutely, Peter. Yeah, it was an amazing occasion at Crow Park for the LGFA All-Ireland Finals. We were very lucky to have um, a group of 50 people represented. Um, we were invited by the LGFA, and we had players there from our European-winning Irish Banshees, Euro Cup teams, our West Air Waves, Champions League squad, and also our Irish University squad. So, Huge occasion, uh, a record attendance, 56,114 people in attendance, the largest attended female sports event possibly in the world this year so far. So absolutely phenomenal and huge excitement across the three games. In the junior finals, we had um, Louth facing off against Fermanagh. So we had Kate Flood captaining Louth, who's obviously on her way to Fremantle Dockers. And we had Joanne Doonan captaining uh, Fermanagh, who's on her way to Carlton. So... Um, Louds were dominant in that game and Case Flood um, went on to lift the All-Ireland Junior Cup so that was fantastic to see um, commiserations to Joanne in that one um, then we moved on to the intermediate final where it was Tipperary against Meath and we had um, Ash Mack from Western Bulldogs and Orlo O'Dwyer who's on our way to Brisbane Lions playing with Tipperary and um, we have a couple of girls in Meath that we're hoping to get to see over in Australia soon as well but Tipperary again uh, went on to win that, uh, so that was fantastic for Orla and Ash. And then it was on to the, the final game, the senior final, which pitted Dublin against Galway. Galway were in the final for the first time in 14 years, so a big occasion for them. And we had Marie Choiga of um, North Melbourne Kangaroos playing with Galway, and we also had a couple of girls, um, Marie Coyne and uh, Noel He and Noel Connolly, who also play with Wester Waves in our premiership. So huge interest, but. Um, Galway couldn't couldn't get over the line. Dublin went on to win their their third title in a row um, with with a convincing display in a in a low scoring, real dogfight defensive style game. But overall, yeah, a fantastic occasion and great to see the, all the AFLW girls prominent across the finals. And let's talk about two crosscoders girls. We know that, of course, Amanda Magan, who took part in the crosscoders program back in uh, 2017, uh, she of course won a premiership with the St Kilda Sharks, the Southeastern Women's Football League Division One Grand Final uh, recently at Shepley Oval, just a week and a half ago. And now we've got another one looking for premiership honours. Uh, Ashlyn Curley, who went through the crosscoders program, she of course is with the Collingwood Magpies. Uh, they're playing this weekend against the Western Bulldogs at Princess Park. Yeah, it's amazing piece. We've been we've been in touch with the two girls there across the season. Um, obviously, it's fantastic to see Amanda check out her premiership there a couple of weeks ago, and she's delighted with it. She's really happy with her season. We've been keeping tabs on her, and we've been chatting fairly regularly. And she's been staying in some um, different positions this year and really expanding her game. So, 
fantastic to see her get the, the rewards um, at the end of the season and take out the Premiership. And obviously, of course, we've got Ashton coming up at the weekend in the VFLW Grand Final. We're all looking forward to see how she goes. She's had a great season so far, um, mainly playing off the centre with Collingwood and um, lighting up those ovals in, in Melbourne with, with her renowned speed at this stage. So hopefully... Um, it's a great final and we'll be rooting for Ashley and Curley here at home and um, hoping that Collingwood can get over the line in that one, I think. Well, Mike, thanks very much again for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to catching up with you soon as round three nears of the AFL Island Women's Premiership and, of course, next month for the AFL European Championship. Great, Peter. We'll talk to you after round three and ahead of the European Championship. Thanks so much. Don't touch that dial. We've got more Women's Australian Rules football on RSN Carnival coming up in a moment. There's jumpers, hoodies and tees for you at leaguetees.com.au Leaguetees.com.au is your place for retro footy gear with designs created by local artists that you won't find anywhere else. Plus, their unique range of women's footy tees help raise funds for Indigenous literacy programs. Get online and start shopping today. Leaguetees.com.au in Melbourne on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, you're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. Let's turn our attention to Tasmania now, where this Saturday afternoon at Bluntstone Arena is the Tasmanian State League Women's Grand Final between the minor premiers, the Launceston Blues, and the Clarence Ruse. Clarence coming from third position to make a late run at trying to win the flag. And they've struck a bit of form. Can they cause the upset? We're going to find out, first of all, by chatting to the Ruse captain. We've got on the line, Grace Mitchell. Grace, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm not too bad at all, but how are your nerves as you count down the sleeps now to the Tasmanian State League Women's Grand Final? Yeah, it's very exciting. Um, you know, the team's very nervous. We didn't expect um, to be here at the start of the year, so, you know, it's full steam ahead. We're excited. Yeah, let's talk about that. A bit of a bumpy season for Clarence. You actually uh, finished the table in third spot with almost a 50-50 split, eight wins, seven losses. Yeah, so at the start of the year, we had um, players coming in and out, and we had seven debutants um, throughout the year. So a lot of new players coming in, and towards the end of the season, our bodies are just getting right, which is good, and bring back our quality players. Now, we talk about AFLW players a lot at VFLW level because that's where the majority are. There's, of course, a couple of Tasmanians floating around in the TSL linked to North Melbourne, Mm -hmm. such as Nicole Bresnahan. Uh, How did you actually have to balance that through the year and how many games they were allowed to play for you? Yeah, so Nicole, she was limited. Um, so against the weaker sides, she didn't play. Um, so there was probably five or six games that she did miss throughout the season. But yeah, she makes a huge impact on our team come finals time and she just yeah lifts everybody up. And indeed she has. Um, let's talk about, first of all, your elimination semi-final. You're up against uh, North Launceston. In that game, you flew straight out of the blocks with a four-goal to one-goal uh, first quarter lead. Yeah, definitely. So we had lost one game um, during the season to North Lonnie, so we knew it was going to be tough and we needed to have a strong start, especially when they had to travel down. So we took that to our advantage and, yeah, got four goals in 12 minutes in the first quarter, so it was, it was really good. Let's talk about some of your better players from that game, including one player that's been really consistent over the last few weeks has been Melanie Wise. Mm, definitely. Yeah, Mel has a great overhead mark and she's uh, really improved with her speed and agility this year as well. So she's just able to get to the ball, take those overhead marks and also lay those tackles. So, yeah, she's been really impressive. And also getting a couple of goals out of uh, Catherine Johnson. 
Yeah, Kath, so she's usually a, a regular backline player and she was able to kick a few goals that game. So she's very versatile across the ground. And, of course, no surprise, Nicole Bresnahan, uh, best on ground for you in that game. Um, it's an unusual finals format for you. Normally, in a top-four situation, both semifinals get played on the same weekend and then you'd go the next week in the preliminary final. But how it's set up in Tasmania, you actually had a week off before the preliminary final. How did you handle that? Yeah, I think we actually um, handled it really well. So we were had a few sore bodies and we were able to rest everybody up and get them right for the game yesterday. And I think it proved... Um, on Saturday, sorry, and it proved um, how fresh we were. So you came into the preliminary final up against a, a much-fancied Glenorchy. As we have a look at some of the goal kickers, and, and even spread wise again with two goals, Mitchell with two goals, Pierce with two goals as well. Yeah, definitely. So we were able to... Um, we had a different forward line to what we'd usually play with throughout the season, so we had a variety of goal kickers, and it's just really good that we can get multiple people on the scoreboard so we know we're, we're reliable inside 50. Let's talk about, again, some better players, including your best on ground. And she was actually named on the half-forward flank in the TSLW Team of the Year, Jessie Williams. Yeah, Jessie. So she was a rookie list with um, North Melbourne, and she's been fantastic for us this year. She's just got so much pace. And with a stopper background, she's got that foot skills that, yeah, she can just burn her opponents. And also named in the TSLW Team of the Year, as well as Nicole Bresnahan, of course, obviously at half-back flank, mm-hmm. but on the opposite half-back flank, and also named amongst the best on the weekend, Bronte Scott. Yeah, Bronte. So she plays in the midfield for us, and she's just um, really good inside the ball and wins those contests. So she's super quick, and her strength is amazing as well. So she's been really good for us this year. So this weekend, you're coming up against the dominant Launceston Football Club. They've gone through the season 15 and zip. Uh, what do you see as Launceston's strengths that you're going to have to try and uh, nullify? Yeah, so they're a very tall side um, and they take they take really good marks and they like it clean in the air. So I suppose we've just got to stop them from playing pretty footy and make sure it's on the ground and we can lay those tackles to stop them from getting how they want it. And can you talk about the rivalry between Clarence and Launceston? If I'm correct, two of the oldest football clubs in Tasmanian women's football. Yeah, definitely. So we've been in the top two teams for the last you know, five years, um, very competitive sides. So it's always a big game when we, we play Launceston. We want to win. And um, we think that we can do that if we play our best game on the weekend. And how important is it to have the grand final this year in the southern part of the state? Oh, it's huge. We've travelled up to Lonnie every time I've played since 2016. So it's going to be huge for us. We know this ground and uh, Lonnie's only play on here once this year. So we're going to use that to our advantage. Now joining us on the line here at RSN Carnival is the rack for the Launceston women's team as they go up against Clarence in this grand final at Bluntstone Arena. It's great to have on the line Abby Green. Abby, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Not too bad. It's a beautiful sunny day. How does it feel as you count down the sleeps now to the TSLW Grand Final this Saturday at Blundstone Arena? Uh, Honestly, I've been trying to not think about it. Otherwise, I almost jumped out of my skin starting today and thought about it. And, thank goodness, almost crashed because it's so exciting thinking about what we've got coming up this weekend. Can you talk about just a little bit of the rivalry between Launceston and Clarence? I believe two of the oldest clubs in Tasmanian women's football. Certainly. So we're both very competitive. Um, yeah, we don't go easy against one another. Obviously, we always want to be the best. Um, so we're fighting for that top spot at the end of the day. Um, we don't really 
have any conflict at all, but, you know, we're, we're two women's sides that are fighting for top spot, so it's definitely going to be a good game. Let's talk about the season to date. You went through the home and away season, all 15 games, clean sweep, 15 and zip for the percentage of 858.97. What clicked well for the Blues during the home and away season? Uh, so we've got a fantastic culture back at Lonceston. Um, Coach Angela Dixon and Ross Clark, they um, implement such a positive structure throughout the football team. Um all the girls are friends, you don't have any conflict, we train hard and we've got each other's back at the end of the day. Um, and we've, we've been training since November last year and I know all of the girls have been pushing in, putting in their 100% and they want the same result at the end of the day. Um, so we're chasing that gold medal. Let's talk about your major semi-final up against Glenorchy. A tough game, but you came away 14-point winners in that game. Uh, probably 16-point winners, rather. 5-15-45 to 4-5-29. Yeah, certainly. So it was a tough game against Glenorchy. We knew they were going to come out following, and they did. Um, we started off well. Um, we did struggle with our scoring shots. Obviously, we kicked 15 points. Um, that's something that we've been focusing on to get us across the line. Uh, this weekend, hopefully. So, um, and yeah, Glenorchy, it was it was a good challenge. We needed that to know that we are unbeatable if we're not at the top of our game. Um, but come ready this weekend, we should have it all down pat. Some players hitting some form at the right time include uh, Dern Taylor, named in the best against North Launceston back on the 25th of August, and then just a couple of weeks ago in the major semi-final, best on ground against Glenorchy. Um, she's a fantastic, she's so strong body, um, her work rate within the midfield is just fantastic, she gets 20 plus disposals each game and um, her physicality and what she brings is fantastic. Also playing well in the game and named at uh, back pocket in the TSLW team of the year has been Chantelle Thuringer. Yeah, so Chanette, she's um, one of our stronger players as well. I know when it comes to a contest, I always let her take it because she's guaranteed to get that ball out. Um, and you can really see how hard she's worked, worked to get this far. So it's, um, it's a very big positive having her on our, on our side, especially in the defence, because, um, yeah, she's always going for that ball and getting it out of the back line. Bree Rafferty kicked two goals in the major semi final and was also uh, given TSLW Team of the Year honours named in the Ford Pocket. Certainly. So Bree's first year. Um, no, second year, sorry. Um, first year in the TSLW side. And she has come out of nowhere and just booted, you know, 38 goals this year for the TSL season. Um, top goal, goal scorer, which is amazing. And she's, you know, she's tall. She's come from the netball background. So she's got hands, you know, that can take great overhead marks. And then she can kick almost 50 metres each time. So she's um, a definite uh, plus having her in the forward line. Some well-known names also making the TSLW Team of the Year, including Daria Bannister named in the forward pocket and Chloe Haynes on the bench. Yeah, so also having those uh, the AFL experience girls is a positive. You can always look to them for advice. Daria's work ethic is fantastic. I've never seen anyone play the way she does. She can run from the back all the way through to the mid to the forward and kick a goal. Um, but yeah, her work rate is something that always gets us across the line and um, obviously... Chloe and Libby, you've got the AFL girls as well. Um, they're always putting their head over the ball and putting their, their body in contest, always making sure they're getting, getting a heap of touches.
Two other players uh, from Launceston named in the TSLW Team of the Year. Angela Dickinson at half forward, reflecting your forward yep. dominance. You're having three forwards named that TSLW Team of the Year. And Meg Sinclair also on the bench. Yeah, certainly. Ange is our, our um, coach as well. So what she brings to the game is, you know, experience, but also skill. She's another person that will get it from the mid, take a few bounces and kick a goal. Um, she's extremely fit and she's got skills like, you know, a veteran. And then you've got Meg as well. Um, so she's coming through uh, her third year. Um, she's recently come from the back to the forward line, um, kicking goals. And she's also so athletic, so she can run the field. Kept them running and running to set up goal scoring shots and yeah, got a good side. And for you personally, as you cross fingers and hope to be taken in the AFLW draft, what does it mean to you to be named as the TSLW Ruck? Uh, it's honest, obviously an honour. Um, you work hard throughout the season and this is my third year as well, so it's nice to know that um, hard work pays off. I've come from a bit of a basketball background, so that's where I get that athletic ability to take those strong overhead marks and um, be able to get up in the rap cuts. But, yeah, no, it's nice to know that it pays off at the end of the day and you get um, recognised for it. During the year, you actually had a one-off game in Victoria playing for Melbourne University, who are North Melbourne AFLW lined against the Western Bulldogs in a very uh, wet and soggy day out there at Witten Oval. How did you find that experience? Oh, it's brilliant. Um, it was nice to uh, see where you stand against the VFL girls. Um, the competition was a, was obviously tough. You have the Western Bulldogs girls who um, are a very physical team. Um, but it was good to be in that playing environment, knowing where you stand. And it was good to get a few touches. Um, my my game review wasn't too bad. I was happy with, uh, with how I played. And um, I thought it was a good outcome at the end of the day. Fingers crossed that you do get picked up by North because Coach Scotty Gowans did say that they're actually in the market for a ruck. Um, should you not be picked up, um, are you looking at the possibility of moving interstate should the phone call come from another Victorian team or elsewhere around the country? Um, so I was uh, talking with Melbourne. They showed some interest. Um, ideally, they you know, wanted me to go over if successful in the draft, obviously you never know what's going to happen in the draft. Fingers crossed that all goes well. But I did consider as my sister was over there. Um, but ideally, I'd just love to stay here in Tasmania. Um, I've got really good friends and family down here and I love what North Melbourne have to offer. Over the weekend, because you had the week off, you had the opportunity to sit back and watch Clarence. What did you make of their preliminary final performance? And what are some of the strengths you think you, you need to nullify? Uh so, with the Clarence game, um, they came out firing. We knew that they were going to do so. Um, obviously, they've got a lot of speed um, and fitness. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like if we are on, we're on. We can get it with all hands. We're here to fight fight till the end. Um, we've got a lot of skills within Launceston, and the girls can link up well. So, hopefully, we'll be doing... Um, a lot of linking up and spreading that ball wide to get it forward as fast as possible. We get a, some good scoring shots um, with the likes of Daria and Bree up forward. And then we've got our midfields as well to get us there and our back line to support us at the end of the day. And how was the approach to having the week off and the bye going straight through to the grand final? Was it a lighter load on the training track or did you look to ramp things up uh, and including maybe an extra weekend session to try and mimic that uh, match conditioning? Yeah, we definitely mimicked it. We had three trainings last week and the girls mashed it out. So we're up 
fire and ready to go. Um, all the bodies are in good condition. Um, and then this week we've just we've done lots of revision. We're trying to do that. Um, not a good training Tuesday as well. Uh, so we're just getting prepped. Um, but things are looking fantastic from my point of view. And what's the plan for both the team and the supporters as you all have to head south down to Hobart Way for Blundstone Arena and the grand final venue? Yeah, so I know the us girls are heading down Friday afternoon. We'll be staying there so we don't have any, um, you know, car sickness. <laughs> we get that out of the way the night before rather than on the grand final day. So we'll have a good sleep. Um, and then, yeah, we'll have um, some supporters come down Friday as well or Saturday morning. I know we're heading down as well. Well, Abby, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you and the Launceston Blues all the very best against Clarence in the grand final this Saturday at Blundstone Arena. Thank you very much. And now we turn our attention to the 2019 Victorian Football League Women's Grand Final. Bounced down 11.35am this Sunday at Princess Park in Carlton. It will be live from 10am on RSN Carnival 2. Please join us then or via warfradio.com or the VFL app. A big 90-minute pregame show and then we are straight into the Grand Final call between Collingwood and the Western Bulldogs. The Bulldogs got there by beating the Pies in the major semi-final. The Pies knocked off the Southern Saints by 14 points in the preliminary final last week, 7-5-47 to 5-3-33. Jamie Lambert, the star for the Pies, kicking three goals. On Tuesday, we were at Princess Park Carlton for the VFLW Grand Final Press Conference. Here's that audio. Welcome everyone this morning to uh, the 2019 Cusquamous VFL Women's Love the Game Grand Final Press Conference. Uh, the Grand Final being played this Sunday 11.35 here at Icon Park. Uh, with us today from the Western Bulldogs, their coach Sean Kavanagh and Michaela Ward, their captain. And from Collingwood, Penny Cooler reed their coach, and Grace Buckin, their captain. Open it up to uh, the media. And Michaela, first of all, um, you missed out on the semi-final against Collingwood. I believe it's some bruising around the knee. Yep. Um, how's that pulled up over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, good. Much better than that day. Um, but now, just keeping it compressed, iced, all the usual, so I'll be right to go come Sunday. Sean, you've had the luxury of the week off. Um, what, what have you been up to on the training track? We've kept things pretty normal. Uh, obviously, we had the the awards night on the Monday, so it was a rehab night post that game. And uh, but from then on, our schedule's been been pretty much the same. Just just building up to this week. We had a great session last night, and looking forward to another one tomorrow night. And that'll that'll wind things up. Penny, uh, for Brianna Davey, her first game back for a few weeks um, on, on the weekend after having that uh, hit clash against Carlton. Um, how did you assess her performance? 30 disposals, probably the most influential player on the ground besides Jamie Lambert. Um, the way that she comes in and just controls that midfield group is unbelievable. Her leadership skills and the way that she brings everybody in, she's the number one reason why we drafted all those players just for her. <laughs> obviously coming in, sorry, just behind you. Um, obviously coming in, Collingwood obviously coming in um, off a loss to the Bulldogs a few weeks ago, but then a good win on the weekend, getting that consistency playing a few games in a row. How does that feel coming in back against the Bulldogs this week? Yeah, one of our main things was to play as many games as possible, um, giving our VFL girls the opportunity to showcase what they have in front of the drafting. Um, yeah, Bulldogs are play a great brand of footy and we're 
really excited and the biggest thing and the changes we made over the past couple of weeks is to make sure that really we focus on our game and what we want to try and achieve and hopefully we play our game a little bit longer than they play their game and see the best team win. Question for both the coaches. One of the difficulties with BFLW is juggling your AFLW players. How have you gone about it this year? Well, um, uh, with a lot of Tetris, um, <laughs> we sort of have to wait for the medical crew to clear the AFLW players um, and then the coaching staff for Steve, um, Jess Berger, our list manager, and Tess McManus, our operations manager, just sort of put um, who we sort of want to play, um, but also who are the girls in the terms of experience need a little bit more game time in terms of match fitness as well, and then from there work out the VFL players around the AFL girls. Yeah, we're similar boat. We had a bit of a planned uh, early in the year post the uh, AFLW season and girls coming back who needed their break and who might get a few games in later in the season. Uh, a few of those have tipped out again, ready to go for their pre-season again. So we've had a similar balance. Some of our first and second year players getting a bit more footy in them um, through the VFLW season. So that's all balanced out now, but we've had uh, basically everybody on our list has now played, which is which is exciting. So to give as many of our girls some exposure at the level as we could has, uh, has been the plan and uh, it's been been a great season so far. Uh, Sean, on that, um, how pleasing has it been to get through the finals campaign without having to rely on some of your elite six such as Ali Blackburn, Lauren Spark, Isabel Huntington, Deanna Berry, Hannah Scott, Bonnie Toogood? Look, really pleasing and we've spoken about this internally, just the, the gap between our AFL girls and our VFL girls and the gap closing, which has been really pleasing and that, that's that's our role, that's my role to develop these girls for, for the draft you know, if they end up in a Bulldogs jumper fantastic, if they don't, if they're on an AFLW list next year, that's ultimately where we want to get those girls to so that development is probably where our improvements come from especially from uh, that midpoint of the year we had a bit of a lull, we had a lot of injuries we were down to our bare 22-23 uh, so to come through that period and see these girls develop with a lot of footy because they needed to play uh, they've kept their spots so um, they deserve to, the reward for it and to, to make this week is, um, is testament to that And for both coaches uh, talking about those top six or top however many players, what about the younger players, the NAB League players coming in? How do you think that the NAB League this year has really helped bring in some of those players, those young ones? It's a it's a great question, and you know we see the young young talent coming through, and it's just going to get better and better. And you know we've had um, Gemma Lajoya, Nick Zenos, um, Alana Porter come through that Oakley Charger system. Um, I've been watching their games, you know. Um, the NAB League games and sort of finding out what they bring, finding out where their flaws are and then when they come into our system being able to um, close that gap in terms of what we need them to play and yeah those kids are just unbelievable. Um, they And the best thing about it is they they go in and they don't really have much knowledge of some of the players around but when they get in they're just like wow this is such a cool environment this is where I want to be um, and they put some of our VFL girls um, they test them and that's what we want we want to be able to test the girls because if they're pushing each other the level's just going to get better and better. And Grace talking about those younger players Emma Lagoa has been outstanding every game that she played for Collingwood but Nicola Zenos taking the step up in that preliminary final including a great goal in heavy traffic mm. as well. Absolutely. And like Penny said, if anything, those girls coming into our team is just pushing us even more. So that's making us work more for our positions. That's building our intensity. And every time they go for the ball, they go in hard and they go, go in with intent. And that's something yeah, you definitely cannot um, question with them. They've got that intent. They've got that want to get the ball and to better themselves individually and as a team. And yeah, they've gelled really well culturally as well with all the girls, AFL, VFL. 
they've absolutely blossomed in terms of just opening up and making friends with everyone around them. So it's been great to see. One for the captains, um, pretty special feeling to captain your side into a grand final. What's this week been like this week in Michaela? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, we've got a great leadership group at the Bulldogs with um, Taylor Denuccio and Ashley Gunn supporting myself. Um, but we've also had a great team environment um, that I haven't really had to do too much leading with. Um, I don't feel so anyway. Um, but it's pretty special. Like We didn't know what the expectation was. There wasn't really much on the Bulldogs this season. So we were aiming for finals and now coming into this weekend, it's just a bonus and we'll put everything out on the table. Yeah, and same goes with us. There's just so much excitement at the club. So obviously the AFL men's being in the finals this weekend, us being in the grand final, just being at the Holden Centre, the vibes are incredible. Um, unfortunately, our finals campaign last year didn't go to show our efforts throughout the season. So the fact that we've gone one step further this year already and we've sort of stepped it up in terms of our um, ability and trainings and intent has just been really, really awesome. And like Michaela said, I've got awesome support around me. So all the other leaders, um, Penny, the coach, the Lions coaches, the staff at Collingwood, um, the trainers, physios, we're all one club, we're one family. So everyone has put in to get us to this level. And yeah, it's credit to everyone that's put the hard yards in. Penny, second year at the Pies in the VFLW. Have you seen much difference between the playing standard year on year? Oh, 100%. And I think um, my first season, I was very young, very new to coaching. I've just finished my AFLW career, if you want to call it that. Um, and then stepping into the limelight of being a coach, it's a completely different um, viewpoint. And I think the maturity of the group has really improved. Having that um, finals campaign last year, I think, has really driven the girls this year to take it a couple of steps further. Um, and I think it's more so the AFL younger younger girls stepping up to, um, getting more games into those girls, especially after um, a disappointing AFLW season for them to step up again into the VFL program and really put put on show what they have to offer for especially Steve coming in, the new coach, um, has really driven our group as a whole collective to make sure that we um, are working towards an AFL season, but making sure we know what it's like to be successful in a VFL program so they can then bring that into the following year in AFLW. And speaking broadly, where do you think that improvements come from across the league? Is it improved fitness, like better game sense, um, you know, tighter cohesion, any ideas? Um, I think it's got a lot to do with understanding that for our product, the women's football, to be the standard it needs to be, we need to put a little bit more investment in. Um, that's from the grassroots upwards. So investing in our staff, investing in our players, investing in our coaches, um, in terms of internally and externally, just making sure that we're doing everything, I can only speak on Collingwood's behalf, of what we're trying to do to improve the women's sport. Having the netball crew and bringing in Jane Woodland-Thompson has been great for our program. And then also, the girls internally wanting to get better. Um, see them a lot more around the, the club than they probably were last year. And the fact that I think that they know that we're on the brink of something that's really special in terms of what we can contribute to the wider community in terms of bringing in women's sport and what that means to everybody. Um, I'm a big advocate for women's sport, been pushing women's football for a long time. So I'm loving the journey and it's only going to get better. And the fact that we've got these NAB League girls coming through and the next generation of players is just, yeah, it's just going to be um, exciting to watch and I'm glad that we're involved in it. 
Last question to both coaches on your international players. Uh, first of all, Sean, I'll begin with you. Uh, for Danielle Marshall from the United States Australian Football League's Arizona Hawks, um, she's been thrown around everywhere during the finals campaign. We saw that during Richmond, the elimination final, kick the first goal of the game, and the game-saving mark in the goal square, 20 <laughs> seconds to go. Um, is that being thrown around everywhere more just for her development for AFLW, or do you see her as a genuine utility? Look, she's got that incredible... Um game sense for someone who hasn't played a lot of footy obviously through her youth and coming over and, and stepping up to this to this level really shows well she just knows how to read the game and we thought we'll give this a try and we did it uh, cyclonic conditions against Darabin in the last round it was blowing a game we thought we'll give this a try and see how it works and she just read the ball so beautifully well so we've used that a little bit um, she's predominantly uh, a four which is one of our leading goal kickers along with the skipper so look she's she's a, a genuine talent and when she came to training one night pretty much unannounced uh, on, my, on my side of things I thought wow we might have something here and yeah, she played soon after and uh, the rest is an incredible story so we're really looking forward to her continued development and uh, what she produces in the AFL season as well. And Penny for your international star being out of the Crosscoders program Ashling Curling, and, and the exciting speed and pressure that she brings to the game. Yeah, so Curly has had a, a interrupted season in terms of a few injuries here and there. Um, her biggest hurdle is is getting herself right, and when she's right, the the speed that she brings, the dash on the outside, um, is a really credit to her. And she was just talking the other day to me about. I was like, Curly, so have you played in front of you know many people before? She's like, Oh yeah, you know when I was playing Gaelic, I played in front of thirty five thousand people. Okay, and she's like, "Oh, I didn't mean anything to me, but I get nervous playing in front of a couple of hundred." So, um, I think for her, it's just getting herself right. She's been fantastic around the group. She's a very determined person, um, and she wants to get drafted. And I think that drives her and the group to make sure that we can do whatever we can to showcase, you know, the skills, the athleticism, um, the finesse, the the composure in the pressure situations that finals bring. And yeah, she's the the type of player that can break open a game. Uh, Michaela, talking about some of the youngsters coming through for the Western Bulldogs, and I, I know many from an AFLW perspective excited about the early draft picks that the Bulldogs will have. Can you talk us through, I guess, those that are auditioning for that spot, including the likes of Elizabeth Georgia Stathis, mm. Sophie Mullen and Alec Wood, who have both transitioned to the side beautifully during this finals campaign? Yeah, all three of those girls have been incredible for us, um, only obviously playing the back half of the season with us. I was talking to Lizzie G's dad last night, actually. She hasn't lost a game with us yet, so <laughs> hopefully she's available this week. Um, that'd be nice. But, I mean, what they do is they play with confidence. Coming through a junior development where some of our VFL women's players haven't had that experience, they just are able to get out there and know exactly what their role is and go and do it. Um, whether it's their junior development or just youth these days being pretty confident in themselves. <laughs> um, but they really are a testament to the hard work that they've had over this year, but also in their previous years. And I mean, if all three are playing this weekend, um, they'll be providing something special for us. For Sean, um, you've gone on, I think you lost to the Saints and then you've gone on and you've won six in a row since then few easier ones early on and then the last couple tougher. Has the week off been important to refresh or would you have rather gone straight into a grand final after, after, after you win in the final? 
Well, I'll probably answer that question a bit better after the game on the weekend. Was it positive or negative? But um, look, I think everybody needs the rest. As you know, as Michaela was saying, we've had quite a few of the younger girls play a solid block of footy, um, and it's certainly finals footy is a whole different ball game compared to the home and away series. But look, I think the rest has been good. We had a really good hard hit out last night. Um, obviously, not playing on the weekend, so time will tell. But uh, it will come in fully fresh and and ready to roll. Sean, with uh, Paul Grove stepping down, there's a vacancy at AFLW level. Is that something you consider putting your hand up for? Oh, look, I'm probably not quite in the picture there <laughs> at the moment, uh, being a full-time teacher and a full-time parent as well. Um, so, look, my my role is very, very clear in, in the in the VFL program and um, really enjoy that development space as well. So that, that's where my skill set lies and um, hopefully we'll go around again next year, but we'll wait and see. But, um, yeah, most certainly we're looking forward to whoever fills that role and we'll jump on board with whoever it is and back them to the hill. Hey Grace, let's talk about um, the influence and growth of Shani Layton in your side. It's been outstanding to the VFLW games that she played. Uh, Chloe Malloy admitted that uh, the strength that Shani brings to the game, she said, I just love footy. That's just Shani Layton. She loves the game and always smiling. What influence does she bring behind the scenes, being an elite athlete and a former Australian diamond netballer? Yep, so with Shani Layton, her attitude, her commitment, her drive is infectious. So everyone around her she brings up and she's such an incredible person incredible netballer but most importantly just a really lovely person off the field um, anytime someone's down or um, we're panicking a game she's always there to settle them down um, to lift everyone up around her and she's just got that nature that um, she's got the voice she's got the leadership we all look after look after yeah. her as well you, you can all hear her on the field so or from the um, from the bench as well um, and the main thing is, yeah, she loves the game. So she wants to be there. And anyone that wants to be there just lifts up us even higher. And she's just such a massive asset, not only to Collingwood, but to our VFL program, to our AFL program. And her development this year has just been unreal. Her kicking, her rock, her marks. She's a very confident player. She goes in hard. And yeah, I can't wait to see her blossom even more going into AFL 2020. Let's focus on the opponents for a moment. Uh, Sean, Collingwood have one Jamie Lambert, Rowena Young medalist, 27 goals, a bit like a gopher in Caddyshack, pops up out of nowhere. How do you try and control the influence of someone like that? Oh, look, she's, she's a, a, a fantastic footballer and we've just got to really control and try and influence the supply when she when she's deep forward. It's simple as that. She's, she's a quality enough player. She's going to find the footy, but it's, it's how it gets there. So that's how we can try and influence in good players find the footy. So, but it's their, their influence when they have it. So that's our hope, and that uh, we'll, we'll set that as a target for our girls. And that that's not only from our backs. That's obviously emphasising through our midfields and the way it comes out of our forward line as well. And for yourself, Benny, trying to combat the Western Bulldogs. I think they had less inside fifties than you in that game in the semi-final. But they don't have a key forward structure. But they're very good with their use of the ball inside fifty. How do you combat that about how to try and zone up or who to man up against? Seems like we've got pretty, pretty similar game plans. It's stop, <laughs> stopping it at the source. Um, trying, to, trying to defend the whole ground, not just our back half. Um, we know they've got a couple of speedsters out the back, so it's just making sure the ball doesn't get down there. That's the biggest thing. And, um, you know, it, it's one of those games where whichever team can play their brand of footy the longest, which team can play four quarters, um, who doesn't have the lapse of concentration throughout the game. And it's been a long season for all of the girls, the staff, the coaches, um, and, you know, it's one more week, it's one more game, but this is the most important game of the season. 
And for yourself personally, Penny, you've been through quite a journey, as we know, from going right back to the VCAT here and to try and get the opportunity to play football. Just five years ago, a, a warm down at the St Kilda Sharks was a can of Jim Bean at Peanut Farm Reserve after the game. Five years later, here you are coaching for the second year of the Collingwood VFLW team. What does this mean to you personally if on Sunday afternoon you're holding up that Premiership Cup? Well, hopefully another can would be great um, <laughs> <laughs> after the season that we've had. Um, no, I think, um, yeah, I've, I've had a, a question to myself a few times about the reflection that I get to, to have about my journey in terms of back when I was 15, you know, what that all meant and to see now, um, you know, I always dreamt of coaching Collingwood to be the first female coach of Collingwood um, and to hold a Premiership Cup would... Um, uh, it's, it's one of those things that you can't really put into words. Um, firstly, like I thought it was a dream to, to play for Collingwood, putting on the black and white stripes, wearing the number three out on this, this deck here was my first ever game. And then now to potentially hold the silverware is, um, yeah, I mean, I, I like to achieve things and when I achieve it, I want, to, I want more. Um, so if, if the cards play um, in our favour on the weekend, um, it would be nothing more than, than special to hold this cup up with Grace and the hard work that Grace has put in for the last two years of this program. We've worked really hard together to build this group to what it is and yeah, just be a great reward for all the work that we've done. And Sean, for you, it'd be probably a pretty high bar to beat if you were to take home the Premiership Cup in your debut season as coach. Yeah, it would be. It'd be a nice bar to set, though. Um, so, as Penny said, it's it's that's the goal. You know, you, you want to see the development, but if you get the rewards of having the opportunity to, to play off and everybody else is on holidays and we're still at work. So, yeah, look, if... if <laughs> If things go our way, it's, it's a huge honour. But if they don't, uh, we're incredibly proud of our, our whole organisation and the direction it's going. And it's not about the, uh, the short-term vision, it's about the long-term vision. So we're really excited by where the footy club's at. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll give it a good shot. So to conclude our look at the VFL Women's Grand Final this Sunday at Princess Park in Carlton, we thought we'd finally get back for a cameo performance. You may know him as part of doing our VFLW report for most of the year, our play-by-play -play caller. He has been absent for about a month and a half. He has been busy with Croc Media and working with their respective programs. But we poached him back for this one-off occasion. It's great to have on the line Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? Uh, full of caffeine to get me through this segment, Pete. Uh, hello to everyone out there. It's uh, nice to be pulled out of what feels like a retirement uh, almost for the last month and a bit to be able to do this segment with you. It's uh, felt a bit weird missing the final series, one of the best times of years in footy. And for the first time, I think, in uh, five years, I've uh, missed the, the VFLW slash VFLW final series. So, uh yeah, a little disappointing, but still watching on from afar. And geez, what a cracking matchup we've got this weekend. Not uh, two sides that I thought would be participating in the grand final this year. It's interesting you say that because Collingwood were the minor premiers, but as you called last year, they went bang, bang, out in straight sets. Yeah, and even if I think back to round one this year when they were wiped off the park against the Southern Saints in that standalone round one game at Moorabbin, I thought walking away from that that Collingwood were going to have a very, very difficult season and they managed to turn it around virtually on the spot. Round two, they they looked, looked like old, if you can say that, uh, given the form coming out of 2018 and as you pointed out, that they were minor premiers unfortunately went out in straight sets which was disappointing for them but they've uh, really built together a strong 2019 season 
clearly the top side of the competition. I know the Southern Saints have been there or thereabouts most of the year, but I feel as if Collingwood have been slightly more consistent. Their form did just drop a touch halfway through the year. They ran a couple of games close. They, they dropped a couple as well. Um, so they've, they've ha- they have had, uh, well, not poor form. Um, they only lost the three games for the season. Uh, including that round one smashing, so it's been it's been a solid year for Collingwood, and even on the other side of the equation, the Western Bulldogs. I remember watching them earlier in the year uh, at the game at Williamstown, and I just wasn't convinced with with how they were performing. They were obviously leaning on a lot of young talent uh, coming through the ranks, particularly from local football at that time. Um, there wasn't too many players with AFLW experience in the side, so they. They weren't the Western Bulldogs that you'd come to expect. It was a, a different-looking side. And how they've built their year, and particularly their final series, has been incredibly good and incredibly strong. Who's going to win the grand final? Collingwood, as we said, you've got the Brianna Davies, you've got the Brittany Benicis, Jamie Lambert, Sophie Casey, Sharni Leighton uh, in the side. That's what we're expecting at, at time of recording. Backed up by the likes of Captain Grace Bucken uh, and Nicole Hayes. You throw in there Gemma Lagoya, an exciting youngster, and Nicholas Zenos, who was great in the preliminary final. Up against the, the grinded-out effort of the Western Bulldogs, Michaelia Ward is back in the side after uh, injuring her knee. Uh, Taladonuccia after suspension, is back on the side as well. You throw in there the likes of Sophie Molan giving them something up forward. You've got the likes of Danielle Marshall, who's been superb, the American who can play anywhere. Christy Lamb giving them some grunt work as well in the centre of the ground. Nicole McMahon in the ruck to try and counteract the likes of Shani Layton. Um, it's, it's an intriguing matchup on very different levels of varying different footballers. Who's going to win and why? Uh, yeah, well, this is what you got me on for, Pete. And I, uh, <laughs> I'm torn because you look at the, the Bulldogs list is just so exciting. Um, and it just puts a smile. Having been involved in women's footy for the last few years, it, it's so pleasing to see that the Bulldogs aren't necessarily relying on their AFLW talent to get them through a VFLW season. And that we're almost seeing, if you like, a, a proper second side that's being established by the Bulldogs. I mean, you, you speak of some of the names in there. and In, in Lamb, uh, that, that's the one that stands out the strongest to me in terms of a player that we know can have an impact at AFLW level. But the fact that supporting that is such a strong second-tier group of state league-level players added into the under-18 talent. Um, and as I said, it's almost a true second side Whereas Collingwood has that more experience, as, as I've said before during our coverage, I believe that they've got a, a very strong group of, of state league level players as well. It's going to come down to the bottom six if, if we're going into the nuts and bolts of the game in terms of how they can cope and deal with the pressure. We saw or have seen how it, it's rattled teams in the past being on the big stage in front of a big crowd. Last day of the season, all up for grabs. I think that's the Diamond Creek when they were almost a shoe-in for the grand final a couple of years ago. They fumbled, they, they fell under pressure, and obviously Darabin came to the fore there. I think back to last year in Geelong, we thought we're going to be able to match it with Hawthorne, um, but Hawthorne was a far more superior and experienced side. They had more leadership out on the field. 
that looked composed, even though they necessarily hadn't had grand final experience before either. So I think, again, with this game, yes, it's going to be at Icon Park. It's The weather may influence it. Uh, not entirely sure of the, the forecast, but I know there is wet weather forecast for Friday and Saturday. So whether that uh, drifts into Sunday or has an impact on the, the condition of the surface for Sunday, hopefully not. Um, but... I think it's going to come down to whichever side can gain composure first, which side can deal with with the sense of the occasion the best. Uh, and I just feel that Collingwood have the more experienced players. They've also got a little bit of extra motivation after being knocked off in the, the major semi. They probably would have thought back then that they were going to go straight through given they've been the top side of the competition throughout the season. It wasn't the case. So now they have, they went the long way around. They had a good performance against the Southern Saints last weekend. Um, and I feel, I feel that that extra week's probably given them a slight edge in terms of momentum. The Bulldogs will be full of a leaf given that they've knocked off Collingwood a couple of weeks ago. Um, had the break to, to refresh, reset, get prepared for this game. Um, but just that, that last, the, the bottom six or so players, and we always talk about it, no matter what footy game it is, that the bottom six players will have the biggest influence on the day. And I just feel that that is a little bit stronger on the Collingwood side of the equation. I think they will win, but I reckon this will be the closest grand final that we've had in a couple of years. I think there's only going to be a kick in this game. I think the Bulldogs can play a really strong brand of football. I think they can match it with Collingwood, who do like to attack. Um, they got an opportunity to do that last weekend. They were inaccurate the week prior against the Bulldogs. I think they'll correct that. I think they'll win, but they'll be run very, very close by a very impressive Bulldog side. No doubt the feel-good story of the year will be if Penny Kula-Reed is able to lead Collingwood to the Premiership Cup and she can hold it aloft come about 1.30pm on Sunday afternoon. But Mr Cox, we'll have to put an egg and bacon roll on this one. I am going to go with the Western Bulldogs. I look at the weather forecast, I go, yes, it'll be fine, but then the rain comes on Friday and Saturday. And when it gets wet, when it gets to a grind, that's Witten Oval type of conditions. And in the wet, you have got to back the doggies. All of a sudden, wet weather football takes away the skills of Davey, Benici, Lambert. It takes away the height of Shani Layton. All of a sudden, it brings the Giants back down to a lower level. And I think for the Western Bulldogs, they've got that kind of scrappy attitude and that even side where everyone's about pulling the same weight. That I think as a unit, in tough conditions, I think that suits them for a grinded-out eight-point victory. So the egg and bacon roll, I think, is on the line. I'm backing the doggies. Just an egg and bacon roll, or are we going the, uh, the daily double with a coffee on that as well, Pete? Don't get too greedy, sunshine. Don't get too greedy. <laughs> well, you're, you're going to be the one that's paying for it, so it doesn't worry me. <laughs> Goxie, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Thank you for all the marvellous work that you've done throughout the year on play-by-play and also by doing the VFLW reports for us. And hopefully we look forward to hearing from you again in 2020. That, of course, bars if you've got any uh, other outstanding media opportunities that I know that will be on your horizon going into the future. But if we do get to speak again, we certainly look forward to your company.
Yeah, thanks, Pete. Um, and just yeah, before you, before you do let me go, thank you. Um, it's been a pleasure. I'm I'm not uh, well, I'm not too upset given the opportunities that I've got at the moment, but uh, been incredibly fortunate with that. But missing the VFLW final series, I've missed preliminary final weekend, which is the, the best weekend of the year. Uh, in my eyes, uh, so a little sad about that, but we'll definitely be uh, tuning in from afar. Good luck to you and to the call team this weekend because it's going to be a cracking final at Icon Park. So don't forget the VFL Women's Grand Final is live on the home of women's football, RSN Carnival 2, Digital Radio in Melbourne, WARFradio.com and the VFL app this Sunday morning from 10am for an 11.35am bounce down. We hope you can join us then. And don't forget we'll have our midweek show back next Wednesday at 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. And have I got some news for you. It's the first of our two-part Draft Insight Specials. It's the most comprehensive look that you'll get at the AFL Women's Draft. That's coming up next Wednesday, 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN Carnival 1 and then later on podcast. So please do join us then. I'm Peter Holden. Thank you very much for your company. Bye for now.